Hey, good morning, New Life Downtown. Would you stand with me today? And when we come into worship on Sunday mornings, we are often bringing with us a lot of things. There's things that we're carrying, things that we're holding, things we're holding on to, things that have happened in our personal lives, things that have happened in our relationships with our family, with our friends, our coworkers, our roommates, things that are happening in the world uh, that we become aware of and uh, can feel heavy upon us. And one of the invitations of worship is to take those things and entrust them to God in whatever way that we can. So here's what I'd like us to do as we center ourselves for worship today. If you would, uh, hold your hands out in front of you like this, just uh, closed fist, turned down, and begin in prayer just to name those things that you're holding on to, the things that feel heavy, the things that you've carried in, that you're worried about, that you're anxious about, that you're afraid about the things that are bringing you grief or sadness, the things that are keeping you up at night or causing you to be startled awake in the morning, the things that you think about as you're thinking about the week ahead that you're facing at work or with your kids. And then would you just begin to open up your hands and say, Jesus, would you help me to trust you with this? Would you help me to place this in your hands? Not as an abdication of our part in participating with his work in the world, but just as a way of saying, Jesus, we need you. We need you to come into these situations. Would you help us to entrust them to you? And then as you feel ready, you can maybe just turn your hands over and say, Jesus, would you help me to receive from you today? To receive wisdom from you strength from you, insight, grace, healing, hope. We're going to name those things that you're just asking God for. And then as we turn our hearts and attention to him, as we worship him for who he is, we lift this up as a prayer. Jesus, as we worship you, would you meet us in our need? Would you fill us with everything that we need for life and for godliness? Would you help us with everything that we're facing? Would you guide and direct our paths? We trust you with all of these things and with our lives. We worship you today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's sing together today. Good to be with you all, church family. I invite you, if you're able, to clap your hands with me as we worship our Lord and God. Come on, clap your hands with me. Let's start again. Here we go. We're worshiping our Lord and Savior. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of the honor and the glory. We lift up a joyful noise to the Lord, for he's worthy of our praise. Amen. Sing from your soul. Sing from the bottom of your heart this morning. We praise the Lord with everything we have and all we are. Let's sing together. Rise, my soul. Rise, my soul, for there is glory to behold. The beauty of the living Lord. God be praised, God be praised. Oh, fix your eyes on the only one who satisfies. The time has come to lift him high. God be praised, God be. Come on, let's sing this to the Lord this morning. Everything that's in 
today, church. This truth. Let's sing. Christ is our hope and strength. Christ is our only way. Some say we are foolish. Some won't understand. But Christ is our hope and strength. Sing that chorus again. Sing Jesus. Jesus, Son of God and Savior, Alpha and Omega, the Messiah. Holy, highest name in heaven, King of all creation, the good, that you are holy, and that you are the anointed Father and King. And God, we worship you today as we think of who you are and remember who you are in our lives. God, may we have total surrender to your holiness, to your glory. God, may our lives reflect the love of Christ. And may we remember just how much we love you and adore you, Jesus. God, if we're struggling with remembering that, may we be reminded this morning as we sing about how much we love you, Lord, that 
you are good, you are kind, you are merciful, Father. God, we worship, we adore you. In Jesus' name, we continue in worship.
is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender.
an intriguing moment in the gospel of John in John chapter two, when Jesus begins to clean out the temple and he gets rid of everything in the temple that should not be there because it is getting in the way of people being in union with their creator. And Paul says that actually you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that we together are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so in this season of Lent, we posture ourselves in saying, yes, Jesus, you have permission to get rid of anything within us that does not belong. You have permission to get rid of anything within us that does not belong. That Jesus, we give you permission. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, we say, Jesus, your will be done, your kingdom come. We want more of your kingdom in our lives. And so we posture ourselves and saying, Jesus, go ahead. Your way is better. And so let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. It says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, my name is Brock. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Downtown, and I have the honor and privilege of leading our student ministry here at New Life Downtown. Yes, we, we, we love the next generation. We are so excited about what God is doing in the next generation. But if you're a new person here, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're honored that you chose to spend the day with us. We would love to connect with you as well. So if you are new, if this is your first time, please feel free to scan the QR code on the screens. Or if you're old school, pen and paper, we have some um, some what are they called? Guest cards in the back in the Welcome Center that you can also fill out as well. Thank you again. We would love to meet you. Um, and as a youth pastor, I have seen over and over throughout the years how God shows up when a student makes intentional time to connect with him. And we have our student ministry retreat coming up in just a few weeks in March. And I, I, I wanna tell a story about last year's retreat. I had the honor um, kind of walking around on, on Saturday night. It was the end of our retreat. And we had several different small groups meeting um, at the retreat center we were at. 
And on the final night of the retreat, uh, we had each small group leader write a handwritten blessing over each student. And I, got, I had the honor just to walk around after, uh, during this time and just to see um, leaders blessing students and other students affirming what was true about them. And, and for students to pray over one another, it was incredible. They're, students are crying and uh, they're receiving what was true about them, their, their identity in Christ, where they belong, the, the purpose and the role they play in the kingdom of God. So if you are a student or you know a student, um, please get them on that retreat. I've seen God use retreats in incredible ways throughout the years. We would love to have your student at that retreat. Uh, one of the, the practices of the church throughout church history has been generosity. Uh, that we give back to God what he has so graciously given to us. And there's a few ways you can give here at New Life Downtown. One is on the app, the website, or in the boxes in the back. So thank you for being a generous church because your generosity is actually helping invest in the next generation, ensuring that we hand down faith from one generation to the next. So thank you so much. So we're just gonna take a moment. I invite you to open up your hands. We're gonna take a moment to kind of posture ourselves to say yes and give permission to Jesus as we hear from his word. Hello everyone, my name is Oliver. The Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 17, verses one through seven. The whole Israelite community broke camp and set out from the Sin Desert to continue their journey as the Lord commanded. They set up their camp at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people argued with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were very thirsty for water there, and they complained to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with this people? They are getting ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of Israel's elders with you. Take in your hand the shepherd's rod that you used to strike the Nile River and go. I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Hit the, hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will be able to drink. Moses did so while Israel's elders watched. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites argued with and tested the Lord, asking, is the Lord really with us or not? The word of the Lord. Good morning, my name is Brad. Uh, the New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 10 verses one through four. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be sure of the fact that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all went through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the, in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ, the word of the Lord. Um, hello, my name is Savannah Johnson. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John 7, 37 through 39. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, all who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scripture said concerning me, 
Rivers of living water will flow out from within him. Jesus said this concerning the Spirit. Those who believed in him would soon receive the Spirit, but they hadn't experienced the Spirit yet since Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me while we pray. Holy Spirit, fill our empty places now. Even as you have already been doing so, as we have surrendered to you in worship and song. Fill our empty places with these words from your gospel and the life of Jesus. And take us to your table where you want to feed us with yourself. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. All right, well, this morning we are continuing in our journey through the Gospel of John. We are in John 7, and actually uh, today in John 7, and then next week in John 8, we're gonna be talking about Jesus at the festival or the Feast of Booths. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but we're gonna get into that. But um, before I do that, I wanna mention that... um, At the end of John chapter 6, which is actually about six months before where we're at today in John 7, uh, we find in verses 60 through 70 that after Jesus had declared himself at the Passover feast as the bread of life, that a lot of people left him after that. Even the word deserted is used in the gospel, so much so that he even looked at his closest followers and said, are you gonna leave me too? Man, I love Jesus so much, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to think of him in that place, feeling left and deserted. Not only that, but the end of chapter six says that Jesus couldn't even move about freely in the Judean area anymore because the religious leaders there were seeking to kill him. Now, I understand that that was a different time and there were different authority structures, but I'm just really trying to wrap my head around like, hey, I didn't see you at church on Sunday. Yeah, my pastor's trying to kill me. (laughs) I said something in small group they didn't like. So Jesus was afraid for his life. That's how we're going into this chapter, John 7. So as I mentioned, it's been six months since the Passover celebration, and actually it's just a few months before the following spring, the next Passover, where Jesus is going to be crucified. So uh, in John chapter 7, we read about this Jewish festival called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. I don't know how much you know about this festival, but it is the third of some of the bigger um, annual um, festivals where Jewish men or families would traditionally make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem if they were available to do that. Um, It takes place, it lasted a full week, 
uh, is kind of, even though it wasn't technically the biggest festival, kind of like how we have both Easter and Christmas, technically Easter should be the bigger feast, but for us, we make a huge deal out of Christmas because it's fun. That's kind of like this festival, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, it took place in the fall. It usually was happening in conjunction with the, the autumn equinox. It was also happening at a time where the crops needed to be protected. So the farmers would build like temporary shelters in their fields to sort of watch over their crops as the, the days were getting shorter. And this also, these little booths or little tents that were set up were also reminders of, of Israel's desert wanderings, um, reminders of the temporary shelters that Israel used as they were camping from place to place, as they were moving out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. They had a 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And they were dependent on God for food and water and shelter during that time. So one of the symbols of this feast was light and darkness. I want to show you kind of a, a historical representation of what these little booths would look like. I think we've got a picture of him here. Here you go. So people would sleep overnight in that. Uh, now they've become much more Pinterest-worthy. Um, people will decorate. We'll go to the next slide here. People will, very lovely. <laughs> uh, also, if you're going to be celebrating the Feast of Booths in Colorado, this next slide is what we would be looking for here. So, <laughs> All right. So this festival came at a time when, uh, you can cut that slide, when the land was parched and in the drought season. So it was a time where people were remembering the, the springs or the waters of the spring, but were now at a place where the land was much drier, as you saw in that first picture there. And during this week-long festival, every day there would be this ceremonial parade from the south border of the city to the Gihon Spring. They would, uh, the priest would take a golden pitcher, dip it in the water, and then carry it up the hill to the water gate, they had a water gate also, different, <laughs> and all the way to the altar at the temple. And so the people would travel with the priests. There would be this procession. They would be singing and waving stalks and citrus branches that would represent the desert booths and the harvest. And then on the seventh day, the greatest day of the festival, this procession would take place seven times. They'd be getting their steps in. So the tabernacles or booths, also symbolized a prayer for water to refresh the land, literally and spiritually. In fact, if rain happened to fall during the festival, it was a sign of strong blessing from God in the coming season. So Jesus was a good Jewish man who was well acquainted with all of the symbolism that this festival held, water, light, desert wandering, blessing, and it's here that he chooses to reveal more about who he is, why he has been sent, and what he offers the world. So we're actually going to go through this whole chapter, which is not usually what we do on a Sunday morning, but I just feel like it's really important to capture sort of the essence of what's going on in Jesus's own life and ministry during this time. But before we do, I want to give you some notes about this chapter from a drama person's perspective. You may not know that I went to school for drama, TV, and film. <laughs> some of you are like, that checks. There's a lot 
going on <laughs> there. So first of all, in this chapter, there's a lot of dialogue that is kind of punctuated briefly by narrative and by some questions that are sort of happening in the crowd. This is kind of reminiscent of Greek tragedies where the chorus asks questions as the main character kind of monologues their angst. It's very clear that Jesus' presence and the miracle of him healing a man on the Sabbath back in John 5 these have created quite a stir in Judea, and suspense is building. What is going to happen? What would it be like if we read this story like we didn't know the end? If we were reading this almost for the first time? So that's note number one. Note number two is, you could easily underscore your reading of this chapter, and really all the chapters for the rest of John until Jesus' crucifixion, with some suspense music. And I've got an option for you here that you can go home with. Do we have that cued? Okay. What's going to happen? Is Jesus going to go to the festival or not? The religious leaders are looking for him to kill him. Okay. That's, <laughs> that was from the movie Inception. Play with your brain so you can, you can read that as you read John 7 this week. Uh, last note, this chapter is broken into three scenes, the beginning, the middle, and the last day of the festival. So let's, let's get into it. Uh, let's just do a short overview of the chapter, and then I'm going to come back and sort of highlight that last day of the festival and what was Jesus doing with his declaration, okay? So we're in scene one, the beginning of the festival, or the part where Jesus pulls a fast one on his brothers, all right, I'm just going to read this quickly, the first um, 13 verses. So Jesus just traveled through Galilee after he found out the religious leaders were trying to kill him. Um, when it was almost time for the Jewish, Jewish festival of booths, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee, go ahead and go to Judea so your disciples can see these amazing works that you do. Don't you want to be famous? Those who want to be known publicly don't do things secretly. Since you can do these things, show yourself to the world. His brothers said this because even they didn't believe in him. Brothers, am I right? <laughs> no. Jesus replied, for you, any time is fine, but my time hasn't come yet. The world can't hate you. It hates me, though, because I testify that its works are evil. There. <laughs> You go up to the festival. I'm not going to this one because my time hasn't yet come. So having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers left for the festival, he went too. Not openly, but in secret. We're like, did Jesus lie? Well, in this time, speaking frankly was something that someone did if they were speaking in public as under a position of power, or speaking frankly was something that you did with people that you really trusted and who trusted you. So you see at the beginning of this discourse that Jesus does speak frankly about his time and about why people are trying to kill him, but then he doesn't give his brothers the opportunity to be spoken directly with because they don't even believe in him. Verse 11, the Jewish leaders were looking for Jesus at the festival. Remember that music earlier? They kept asking, where is he? 
the crowds were murmuring about him. He's a good man, some said, but some others were saying, no, he tricks the people. But no one spoke about him publicly because, again, those Jewish authorities are not messing around. All right, so the Jewish leaders are watching out for him. People are whispering about him. There's a lot of controversy that has been caused with what he has done and some of the things he's already said about himself. Will he be at the festival or not? All right, now we're coming to scene two, the middle of the festival or the part where Jesus has everyone running around in circles. All right, halfway through the festival, Jesus shows up at the temple and he started to teach. And astonished, the Jewish leaders there said, he's never been taught. How has he mastered the law? See, in this time, unlike our time where we really praise people for their ingenuity, their originality, things that must just be coming from them, during this time, you were praised for who you were taught by. What you were saying shouldn't just be from you. It should be from someone whose wisdom you have gleaned from. Jesus responds, this is verse 16, my teaching isn't mine, but comes from the one who sent me. Whoever wants to do God's will can tell whether my teaching is from God or whether I speak on my own. Those who speak on their own seek glory for themselves. Remember what his brothers were encouraging him to do? But those who seek the glory of him who sent me are people of truth. There's no falsehood in them. And then he goes into, didn't Moses give you the law, but none of you keep the law? Why are you trying to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who wants to kill you? Jesus replied, I did one work, and you were all astonished. Because Moses gave you the commandment about circumcision. It wasn't Moses, but the patriarchs. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. In other words, you are interested in this man's wholeness by keeping the law of circumcision on the eighth day, even if that falls on the Sabbath. So if a man can be circumcised on the Sabbath without breaking Moses' law, why are you angry with me? Because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath. Don't judge according to appearances. Judge with right judgment. So the people are curious about his authority, his origin, and he challenges their assumptions about him by speaking frankly about himself and about their hearts. And we see now that because of the way that he's talking that the people there start to wonder, maybe he is the Messiah. In fact, we see this in verse 25. Some of the people in Jerusalem said, oh, isn't he the one they're trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public, but they aren't saying anything to him. So could it be that our leaders actually think that he's the Christ? Verse 27. We know where he's from, but when the Christ comes, no one will really know where he is from. So here they are again. Maybe this is, I mean, the words that I'm hearing are making me think that he's the Messiah, but I know they're trying to kill him. Maybe they know that he is the Messiah. Wait, we know where he's from, but these prophecies we've heard said we won't know where he's from. He's conf- the declaration he's making about himself is confusing the people. And then while Jesus was teaching in the temple, verse 28, he exclaims, you know me and you know where I am from, but I haven't come on my own. The one who sent me is true. 
you don't really know him. But I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. So they got mad. They wanted to seize Jesus, but they couldn't because his time hadn't come yet. He already said that twice. My time hasn't come yet, but it will be coming in a few months. But many from that crowd believed in Jesus. They said, when the Christ that we've been waiting for comes, would he do even more miraculous signs than this man does? Then the Pharisees get wind of this. They heard the crowd whispering such things about Jesus, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent guards to the temple to arrest him. All right, where are we at here? This is such a long chapter. Uh, okay, chapter 31. Okay, um, so then Jesus says, I'm, I'm still with you for a little while before I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you won't find me. And where I am, you can't come. And again, this just highlights the continued confusion that people are having with like, who is this man? The Jewish opposition asked each other, where does he intend to go that we can't find him? Is he going to where people are living scattered among the Greeks where we cannot go? He's not going to teach the Greeks, is he? What does he mean when he says, you'll look for me, but you won't find me, and where I am that you can't come? He has stirred up such a tizzy among the religious leaders. They're constantly talking about him. All right, so let's go to scene three, the last day of the festival. We could also call it the part where Jesus one-ups Moses. We read this earlier. On the last and most important day of the festival, this is the time where this water procession has taken place seven times. There's music, there's shouting, there's a prayer for blessing. Jesus stands up in the temple and shouted, all who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scriptures said concerning me, Rivers of living water will flow out from within him. Jesus said this concerning the Spirit. Those who believed in him would soon receive the Spirit. But they hadn't experienced the Spirit yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He had not yet given his life and been raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven. When some in the crowd heard these words, they said, This man is truly the prophet we've been waiting for. Others said, no, he's the Christ. But others said, the Christ can't come from Galilee, can he? Didn't the scripture say the Christ comes from David's family and from Bethlehem, David's village? We know, yeah, he was, from Beth he was born in Bethlehem. So then the crowd was divided over Jesus. Some wanted to arrest him, but no one grabbed him. Even those who had been sent by Jesus to seize him were taken in by his words and by the controversy and the questions in their own heart that were stirring up. So the guards returned to the chief priests and Pharisees in 48 who asked, why didn't you bring him? The guards answered, but no one's ever spoken the way he does. The Pharisees replied, oh my gosh, have you too been deceived? Have any of the leaders believed in him? Has any Pharisee? No, only this crowd who clearly doesn't know the law and they're under God's curse. Wow, they're the leaders, so that says more about them than about the crowd. Nicodemus, who we heard about earlier in this gospel, was one of the religious leaders there. And he speaks up for Jesus and says, our law doesn't judge someone without first hearing him and learning what he's doing, does it? They answered him, 
You're not from Galilee too, are you? Look it up and you'll see the prophet doesn't come from Galilee. So we're going to pause there and um, we'll pick back up in John 8 next week with the rest of the festival. But I'm going to come back to this last day of the festival. What was Jesus actually saying about himself? I want to go back to the Old Testament reading, which is found in Exodus 17. Because Jesus is hearkening back to something here. So the Israelites had already been mightily delivered, which is why they continued to celebrate the festival or the feast of Passover, because it's a remembrance of when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. But there was a long time where they were learning how to be the people of God. They had only known life as slaves, worshiping, perhaps getting confused about who to worship because they were in the land of Pharaoh, who was seen as a god himself. So before they could enter a new home, God promised to be with them and to show them more about his own character, his desire for them as a people. He gifted them with a law as a way of saying, this is who you are now, and you are a reflection of me and of my heart. But there was a lot of confusion that happened among the people during those 40 years of wandering in the desert. Exodus 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community broke camp, set out from the Sin Desert to continue their journey as the Lord commanded. So they are now moving from one place to another. Then they set up their camp in Rephidim. But there wasn't a lot of water there for the people to drink. So the people argued with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? They've already seen so much provision at this point. The people were thirsty. And they complained to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? Our children and even our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're getting ready to stone me. So the Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of Israel's elders with you. And I want you to take in your hand the shepherd's rod, the very one that you used to strike the Nile River, an earlier sign that Moses had done in God's name. Go, I'll be standing there in front of you at the rock at Horeb. Hit the rock. Water will come out of it and the people will be able to drink. So Moses did so in the sight of all of the elders there. And he called that place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites argued with and tested the Lord asking, is the Lord really with us or not? Here we have one of the most basic and enduring questions of human history. 
and of our own hearts. Is the Lord really with us or not? Maybe you asked that question this week in your own heart. Is the Lord really with us or not? And God answers the people of Israel back in Moses' day by saying, I'm going to stand in front of this rock and I want you to strike the rock. And I'm going to make water come out of a rock. And what's wild is that that was kind of near the beginning of their desert wanderings and Deuteronomy (laughs) records another instance years later in the same place where they are thirsty again and asking the same question again. Are you with us or not? And hundreds of years later, when the people of Israel under Roman oppression are waiting expectantly for a Messiah, they see the signs that Jesus is doing, they hear the bold claims that he's making about himself, and they begin to feel their thirst anew. And they ask among themselves, is the Lord really with us or not? Is this what we've been waiting for or not? And Jesus stands up in the midst of them on a day filled with so much symbolism about thirst, about a longing for blessing, a longing for their own provision to be met, but more than that, a longing for God to stand over the land and pour out, not just meeting their needs, but satiating these hollow places within them. And he says, come to me and drink. I am the rock that is struck for you. And the water I give is abundance of life, full, satiating your questions and your thirst for a different kind of life. Are you thirsty? Come to me. I have what you need. Here's something interesting. Because of the punctuation of the original language, interpreters have been arguing about a couple of different ways that verse 38 can be interpreted. We've been looking at one interpretation where Jesus claims living waters will flow out of him. But another interpretation is, whoever is thirsty should come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, just as the scripture said, rivers of water will flow out from within them. Either way, whatever interpretation that your English translation goes with, either way, Jesus is answering this enduring and heartbreaking question in us all. Is the Lord really among us or not? With the Spirit the giving of which is only possible if he was willing to give up his life and then be raised from the dead. His presence in human form 
was replacing the only thing that the Israelites had known, which was God is in God's temple when God chooses to be in God's temple. And we have to go there to find God and to answer this question. Because if we're thirsty, we don't necessarily know what God's going to do. Jesus' presence was saying, I'm here. I've the, I'm the one that you have been waiting for. But when he sends the Spirit, what he's doing is saying, now I'm in you. Now I'm in you. You don't have to keep asking this question, is God among us or not? Is God with us or not? The Holy Spirit is in you. The one who believes in him, the one who says, I'm thirsty, I will come to you to drink. And I want to put before you today that so often we read the scripture already knowing the rest of the story, don't we? And I don't know about you, but I've actually heard numerous stories of people who were hungry for something longing for God, but didn't know God, didn't even really know the story of God and in a hotel room or someone gave them the gospel of John. After reading the gospel of John, they were struck to their very core and became believers because of this gospel account of Jesus. And that's what John wrote was his goal. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God, and that by believing that you may have life in his name. So as we prepare to come to the table, I want to invite the team to come forward now. But I want to put an invitation before you, which is to think of the thirst that has drawn people to the gospel of John in the past. What are those thirsty people seeing that I so callously just overlook when I read this text? I want to invite us to a posture of humility. Am I humble enough to let myself see Jesus here with the eyes of a thirsty person. To hear Jesus' words with a heart that has longing and to let Jesus confront me, to stand in front of me with this challenge to my question of, are you with us or not? To hear Jesus ask me, what else is there left to prove, my child? You asked, and I'm answering you. And I am offering you the best thing that I possibly can, which is myself and the spirit alive in you filling those places that are empty. Filling those places that feel hollow. 
coming to those places of doubt and skepticism that I have. And I do, friends, I think I've shared this with you before. I often find myself, for some reason, especially around Advent, really wrestling with doubt. Are you coming back or not? Have I been believing in something that sounds too good to be true? What are your questions? When you come to the table and you, you hear the communion liturgy, these words, and you taste the bread and the cup, what is Jesus offering to you? So I invite you this morning to, to see with fresh eyes what he said about himself. And to see that it was no small task for him, what he offered us. That it cost him something. But that he wants you today to hear him and to believe him. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that fills our empty places as we come to the table. Friends, this is Jesus's table. The one who says, come to me, all who are hungry. The one who says, come to me, all you who are thirsty. Not just for bread that quenches that rumbling in our stomachs, not just for water that quenches that parched feeling in our lips, but to come to be satisfied in the very deepest places of our soul with his presence. He says, come to me. And he invites all who believe that he is who he says he is to come to the table and receive regardless of your church background or affiliation. If that doesn't describe you today, if you still find yourself in the place of going, I don't know for sure who this Jesus is, Keep coming, keep asking questions. We're so glad that you're here. We're so grateful that you feel comfortable to ask those questions in our company. It is an honor for us to be a part of that journey with you. But maybe today you're like, you know what? <laughs> Something has clicked. I realize that that is really what's going on inside of me is that I am longing for the presence of God. And so if you're ready to place your trust in Jesus to begin following him, then we invite you to come to the table and receive with us today. We begin our journey to the table with a prayer of confession where we uh, confess our sin and place our trust in him again. In the season of Lent, we're praying uh, a portion of Psalm 51. David's own prayer of confession is our prayer. So join me in this prayer today. Have mercy on us, God, according to your unfailing love. Wipe away our wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash us completely clean of guilt. Purify us from our sin. We know our wrongdoings. Our sin is always right in front of us. We've sinned against you. We've committed evil in your sight. So purify us and we will be clean. 
Wash us and we will be whiter than snow. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew your spirit within us and restore to us the joy of your salvation. Friends, it is my delight, my joy to announce good news to you, to us today, words that are true, not because we say them on Sunday, but because what God has done in Jesus Christ. Would you open up your hands just as we did at the beginning of this service and receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love toward us. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And the peace of the Lord be with you. As those have been raised to new life in Jesus, would you stand and would you extend the forgiveness of Jesus to one another, turning to your brothers and sisters and saying, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Friends, Jesus is here. (laughs) So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. All the room, would you take a moment and thank him today. That he has deposited his spirit within us. Spirit flows living water. Father, it is a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you. Father Almighty. For you formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son, Jesus, to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus took bread, and when he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup of wine and would have given thanks. He gave it to them and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. So whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And So in remembrance of God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Would you stretch out your hands now to the table as we pray that the Spirit of the living God would meet us in this moment. So Father, we pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Jesus, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Jesus returns in final glorious victory. In his name we pray, amen. I want to invite the servers to come up today. Friends, these are the gifts of God. They have been given for us, the people of God. So as we receive them, we receive them in remembrance that Jesus died for us. We feed on him in our hearts by faith. 
and with Thanksgiving. If this is your first time here uh, and you're wondering how to receive communion, you can scan the QR code on the screen or just watch what everyone else is doing and follow along. If you're unable to come forward for any reason, please ask someone near you to bring the elements back to you. If you're up in the balcony, there are prepackaged elements in the corner uh, or you can come down and join the table here or the uh, service here on uh, your right. But let's worship together as we come to the table of our Lord.
Praise Him, all creation. 
Friends, would you open up your hands as we receive a blessing as we're sent back out into the world. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Streams of living water reside within you. May Jesus continue to quench every one of your thirsts. And would he use you in a unique and beautiful and special way to quench the thirst of those that you come into contact this week by the power of the Spirit living and moving in and through you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. New Life Downtown, I love you. I'll see you around the city and back here next Sunday. God bless. Go in peace.